0: Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9, John chapter 9, did anybody come in today because we're going to be starting on the book of Job and get a book of Job? Raise your hand if we're getting those out. You you got one. If on your way out you want to get uh, the book of Job, we're going to be transitioning for a wonderful series in that book. Um, We love the word of God um, and we love to hear the good news from the word of God. John is an interesting name in Greek. It means God gives presence. That's what you would have said if what you named your child John. It means gift. John met Jesus, and he included a story, which I think is one of the greatest gifts in the book. Would you please stand out of honor for John writing this story and the fact that the Holy Spirit wants us to know this story About a man born blind. As I get my glasses on, (laughs) John chapter 9. Pay attention to this story that has been given to us as a gift. Verse 1 And as he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him go wash in the pool of salome which means scent so he went and washed and came back seeing the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying is this not the man who used to sit and beg some said it's he others said no but he's like him he kept saying i am the man so they said to him Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes. I washed. I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast them out. Jesus heard that they had cast them out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that John had a hard time believing, but he experienced such a love from Jesus that you opened John's eyes. And he saw this story happen one day, and he recorded these words. Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to really see the good news that you have for us today. Open the eyes of our heart so that we would see Jesus and worship him like we've never worshiped him before. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. I will ask you as I teach, as Daryl does from time to time, to look at your own Bible. We, of course, put it on the screen to be a help to you to pay attention. But your Bible, taking it with you as you disciple others, as you review and remind yourself of what you learn, I would ask you to mark up your Bibles if you're comfortable with that. And take what we are teaching to really help you as you understand the Lord. When we think about this story about sight, eyes are amazing. One of the most wonderful works of God is the human eye. These two cameras, in fact when I look you in the eye, do you realize I only see one-sixth of your eye? The eye is a very large thing. Most of it is hidden. But one of the most important parts of the eye that I doubt many of you have ever heard of is called the fovea. Now that's weird because it's the part of your eye that does the most seeing. And most of us, eh, we never even really remembered what that was. It's a depressed area on the retina, the back of your eye, containing concentrated cones that catalyze the clarity of your vision. Let's go back to high school, or maybe college. Some of you went and had that anatomy class. There are two photoreceptors in your eye. Remember the rods and the cones? You've heard of those. Those rods help you see the low-intensity light, the peripheral vision. But the rods, they're not too great. They detect things dimly. But the cones, the cones are responsible to see high-intensity light, to see color. They detect things in high definition. So the fovea, no rods. God decided to put in the back of your eye a little hole. That's what fovea means. It's a depressed space. A little hole, imagine that, where it's pure cones. The fovea. You know, an example of each type of seeing, seeing with the rods where we see dimly, or seeing with the vovia where we see so clearly, was an experience that I had when I was with a friend in Germany a few weeks ago. He had his BMW. And when we got onto the Autobahn, what a thrill to be in a BMW on the Autobahn. But we went into a parking garage. And with his wonderful BMW, with all of its wonderful buzzes and whistles, guess what? He backed up using his backup camera, and the backup camera didn't see, a basically, a concrete slab, and he rammed into it. Bam! We hit that wedge because even with all that technology, the car couldn't see. But cones, there's another example of the cones. The cones which lead to clarity and intensity and focused light. In Germany, it's amazing. I said to him, I don't see cops anywhere. He said, yeah, because these things are all over the place. They're speed traps. They're these technological devices that kind of hide all over the roads, but they will look so focused at your speed, and they'll flash when they know you're going too fast and take a picture and you'll get in the mail that bill. Now I've heard that that's happening in some of our states, and maybe some of you have gotten that. Sight and light matter in our lives. Spiritual sight is a big deal. We're talking about a dent on a BMW. Sorry for my friend. But what about your life? What if you can't see something in your life that dents your life or destroys your life? Your interpretation is your life. Well, John's going to take us sightseeing. When you go sightseeing like we did in Germany, and wow, the Eiffel Tower when we were in France was amazing, you need a good tour guide. So the title for today in this story is simply, I See. And John, as an amazing tour guide, is going to give us three sights Three sights that will help us to see that life is worth living. It's gonna be really hard to stare at this story. So we're gonna start with this. The blind will see Jesus, because Jesus sees them first. And then we're gonna go into a dark section. So I'll give you a chance to blink. The blind actually won't see Jesus when they keep their eyes shut. But then at the end, we're going to open our eyes really wide and the fovea of our heart will see that the blind will see because they take the prescription of a really good eye doctor. So let's begin. Number one, if you're taking notes, the blind will see Jesus. How? Because Jesus sees them first. Verse one, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. We forget that it is not us pursuing God. We're blind. Jesus can't even walk with his friends without looking over and seeing that a man is sitting there begging. A man cannot see. Jesus notices those things. You know, John 4, when we preached it, is about a woman we didn't even get her name, and yet John spent all day at a well talking to a woman. It mattered. This entire chapter... It's about an unnamed man who could not see. In your life, do you see the invisibles? Do you see the people on your block that rarely get attention? When you're at work, do you see those that clean your bathroom? That's something you'd probably want to do. Jesus saw the blind man. Because, of course, the blind man couldn't look for Jesus. And imagine being that blind man. We know that we sang Psalm 139. God does in his sovereignty form all of us different, but can you imagine coming out of the womb and not seeing the face of your mother? Andy Crouch is such a good, writes on culture, and he's a Christian, and he's concerned about parenting today. He says, no child comes into the world wanting to look at a screen. Every child comes into the world wanting to look at a face. The brightness of a face... This man had never seen his mother's smile. But Jesus saw him that day. What do the disciples see? The disciples, like all of us, we're learning the Jesus way. We're learning how to see. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, right? They're saying, you're going to teach us something today. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They see a theological mystery. They miss the man. A mystery to be solved. They ask that big why question that we always ask because their imagination narrows down to see only two possibilities. Either you blame someone, this man, we usually call that nature, or do we blame somebody else, his parents? That's usually the nurture argument. Well, blaming someone, it's so easy to just blame the parents, blame the system, blame the power structure, nurture. Even the Jews in verse 34 said this, you were born in utter sin. They went right there. A common assumption in that time was that a congenital disability was a result of sin from your parents or sin from you as a person. The other one, blame the person, the nature argument, is take ownership. You're guilty. You're blind. The common view is that God knows all, and he just looked ahead in time and knew that this guy would be a real screw-up. So God gave him his blindness. Our imaginations are diseased. It's part of the fall that we have with sin. And these disciples with shrunken imaginations just had this binary view of just two possibilities. But how does Jesus answer the question as a good rabbi? Verse 3, Jesus answered, it's not this man that he sinned or his parents, but that, please circle that in your Bibles, when you hurt, when you go through something, the next time you ask why, go back where you circled these words, but that, the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is has an imagination that's not diseased he never sinned jesus sees that there's another possibility but that those two words promise that there is never any senseless suffering all suffering does come from sin but not necessarily specific sin See, disease and disasters are, of course, from the sin of Adam. But specific suffering is not always caused by specific sin. Many of you a number of weeks ago saw that there was this terrible garage that collapsed in New York. In Manhattan, if you've ever been there to Central Park, there was a parking garage. And on April the 18th, it collapsed. I checked the news. They all did the same thing. Half of them blamed the architect or they blamed the building owner. It's not up to code. The other half, because there was the death of a parking attendant, blamed him. What was he doing in there? Where was he sitting? Was that parking attendant? It's interesting how we go to these two things. But Jesus sees a third option whenever there are these senseless things that we think. Option three is this. God orchestrates our suffering to play the music that God has composed. Our suffering is going to actually showcase the redemptive and saving work of God. This man's life is a stage for God to display his work of power, his work of grace, his work of hope. Many of you today need to be reminded that Jesus saw this man. Jesus is more important to you when we remember how he acts, because he is revealing the very face of God. Now, God did not design pain, but he controls and guides and monitors and directs our suffering. So here's an implication for all of us, knowing that, but that, whenever you suffer, whenever you are just scratching your head, if the great composer has planned all of this, we can live lives with composure. We don't have to be so stressed out. Someone's written the song, and it involves all that's bad. We can trust that God's composing has a great emotional payoff. We can be steady in the stress of our week. We can be settled because of the unshifting security of the living God. But you say, Howard, I don't like suffering. That's why Daryl and I, it's been put on our heart to go through the book of Job. Please come the next 10 weeks we're going to be reading through this book together. It's very dense. It's very difficult. is a very difficult question for many of us. We will go there. Tim Keller helps us here. Daryl and I were, uh, were in a denomination of wonderful churches where Tim Keller was part of that family of churches, and he's written a lot of good stuff, but I've really been listening to him more than ever because he has pancreatic cancer. He's dying of pancreatic cancer. When he talks about suffering, I think he has something to say. He says this, Only when trouble comes into your life do you really begin to see the things that bind you from being fully human. He says, You tend to suffer when those things that you've made your world are in jeopardy. For some of us, it's our money. For some of us, it's our kids. For some of us, it's our health. He says, You suffer when the things you base your life on are the things that drive you and they'll enslave you. And you're threatened and you feel that life is coming apart. He says this, and I think it helps with this great question of who sinned? He says, stop asking, why am I suffering? Instead, ask, why am I suffering? Not why, but why am I? This is a story where Jesus saw a single man. Jesus sees you. Jesus has orchestrated what you're going through. Why is this so bad? Ask yourself. Have you based your life on it? Or is God working to free you? In my own brain, I usually go, I have to have that. I know I don't need it, but I have to. When you suffer, God is shaking you free from those things. I've always enjoyed the Pinocchio story. It's a weird story. But the creator creates this wooden puppet who transforms into a boy. Often our suffering is the means of transformation to move from wooden, not living, to seeing life. And then Jesus does something so dignifying to his disciples. He moves from I as the rabbi and he says we are working. Look at verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, night's coming when no one can work. See, the chapter before, he's like, I'm the light of the world. It's a great concept. And his disciples are like, if you're the light of the world, and we're your community. And of course, he'd later say in the book of Matthew, you are the light of the world to the community. It's amazing to think that Jesus saw the blind man, but he's saying it's the work of his community of learners to bring light to those that are blind. Jesus is going to send his community as he sends us to bring sight to the blind, Verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And in verse 6, having said these things, here he goes. He's going to bring a man who's blind to see. And it's such a weird thing that he does. He spits on the ground. He makes mud with the saliva. He anoints the man's eyes with the mud. Now, some of you are like, this is getting a little weird. I love this about Jesus. He could have stood, like we said last week, in a big area of the temple and said, I'm the light of the world as the candles blazed. But here he is spitting on the ground as a human being, going up to someone and touching that man. Why? Some suggest he was reenacting creation. Remember creation that was dust, dust that just blows around, but not with God. In Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. See, the beginning of our story starts with chaos, like a man who can't see. And when God shows up, let there be light, there's cosmos. That means there's an order that's being fashioned for flourishing. Jesus is going to form clay, apply it to the eyes, and the blind man has this mud on his eyes, and the blind man must have the mud on his eyes. We often have to enter into this strange, difficult time of suffering and experiencing something that we don't usually want. He didn't come up with this. But often it's our bondage to the good directions of someone who's going to heal us that is our very escape. He says in verse 7, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed. I wish you'd circle this in your Bibles. He came back seeing. Don't miss the detail that when Daryl preached about Jesus saying he was the water of life, it was during a water ceremony. Where did they get the water for the water ceremony? The same pool of Siloam. He's now going to this pool. He's washing. And some of you that might doubt Christianity, and you're welcome here, I find it fascinating that we actually found in 2004 the very spot where the pool of Siloam was. I love archaeology because it tells the truth. While doing routine water maintenance in 2004, the archaeologists Ronnie Rake and Eli Shukron uncovered the first century pool. Here's an artist rendering of what it would have looked like. 225 feet long. Jesus, sent from the Father as the light of the world, sends this man to a pool called Scent... The man submits to the sending, and the blind man can now see. But the blind man did not see until Jesus saw him first. What an amazing Jesus we have. Even in verse 35, the story goes on, and we'll look there, where the man's cast out of the synagogue. It says, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him. I hope you'd circle that in your Bible. The next time you suffer... Jesus is not at a distance. God is not far. God finds you when you're sick. Okay, so the blind will see because Jesus finds them first. It's now time to kind of blink and realize that some people don't see. The blind won't see Jesus because they keep their eyes shut. Look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man isn't from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Encircle this word. There was a division among them. Notice that people are starting to see things from different perspectives. Division, two ways of seeing, two ways of interpreting. And it came from the two discipleship schools back then. Some of you know that there was a disciple named Shammai who basically had a school of thinking and another one named Hillel. Well, Shammai said this, when you learn anything, see the principle first and filter the facts. Some of you have learned that way. It's a great principle. But the school of Hillel said this, see the facts first and filter the principles. So Shammai, that school says this, anyone who breaks a law is a sinner. That's our principle. Verse 16, Jesus is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. You see how they're thinking, how they're seeing reality? They know their extra little law and now they're applying it to him and they've got it figured out. Because as we all know, kneading dough was not allowed on the Sabbath. And of course, Jesus spit. He took mud. He had to work that dough. You'll meet someone in your own life or maybe you are this way. They love to broadcast. Their principles, rather than tune into what's going on all around them. The school of Hillel saw things differently. They would see a fact, but they would often ignore the principles. Verse 16 How can a sinner do such signs? Wait a minute here. If Jesus is all that bad, the guys can see. Notice how they're really focusing in on that fact. You'll know this sort of person in your own life. They're always questioning. They're so willing to question. There's a downside to these types of people. They often ignore principles. So there's a division, but they they say, well, here's one thing we can do. Let's call some witnesses. Because we're not going to fix our schools of thought and how we interpret. They bring in the parents. They bring in the man who could see. The parents, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And in verse 20 to 23, the parents basically say this, we know it's our son, he was born blind, but you got to go ask him. One thing that John tells us in this story is that the parents didn't want to lose community. They saw their lives that coming to church, being in community, it'd be better to play this one safe. You go talk to the boy, don't talk to me. They went to the seeing man, and verse 24, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I love that. they, They want to get the truth, but they're like, We know this guy's a sinner. Don't give us the facts. You ever meet someone like this? Do not give me the facts because I just want to get to what you want to hear me say. They're pressuring the man. See it from my perspective. And they demand that he takes an oath. Give glory to God. It's kind of like today when someone were to say, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That was their lingo back then. So they grab this guy and they're just like, tell the truth. We know he's a sinner. And notice that they're now together on the same page. They had a division in schools of thought. But we know that he is a sinner. Sinner. Circle that word. It was not a nice word. Hamartalos. It was the most derisive term that you could use. It only applied to tax collectors, prostitutes, and pagans. They see Jesus Christ in the same category. Verse 25, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. This is the blind man who's now can see. But one thing I do know, though I was blind... Now I see. Listen, guys, you're in your schools of thought. You're trying to figure out reality. It's as certain as the sunrise that I couldn't see. And I can see. And by the way, just emotionally, once again, a man who never even saw the face of his mother at birth. Imagine what the world is looking like to this man. And he sees so clearly. And those that were religious were so blind. Jesus... Judges and evaluates like a good eye doctor. And in verse 39, he says this, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, like this man, and those who see may become blind. Now, I don't want to lose you. Look at verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him say these things and said, Are are we also blind? In verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let me make it real simple. I have a hard time reading. My, my, at the age of 53, the eyes are getting a little weak. But do you ever meet somebody who loses their glasses, and they're trying to find their glasses, and they're just a hot mess, and they really don't have good vision? These Pharisees, I mean, Jesus is like, think about this. If you can't see, just admit it. Because when you run around losing your glasses, when you need those very glasses to see, you might just want to ask for someone to help you get those glasses. Isaiah 29.8, which were scriptures that these men would have known, predicted with utter clarity the telltale sign of the arrival of the Messiah. Isaiah 29 said it this way, in that day, out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. These religious people knew that, but they refused to see that Isaiah 49.6, another beautiful, beautiful prediction. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. This was the Messiah who would arrive. And when a blind person insists that they can see, they place themselves out of the possibility of ever being healed. Blindness is incurable if you keep your eyes closed. So the blind see because Jesus first sees them. Secondly, the blind will never see because they keep their eyes shut. What is something for you this week? Maybe you have this friend or this neighbor or this family member, and they do not want Jesus. I want you just to take a deep breath and let that go. Jesus is saying this is how reality is. People see what they want to see. But don't lose hope. Let's go to the last thing. The blind, and these are some of your friends and neighbors and those that you thought would never see, will see when they take the prescription of Jesus. You know, Jesus had already prescribed two things, clay to the eyes and go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the blind guy could see physically, but this was not what Jesus was ultimately after It's not enough to see. The blind need to see Jesus spiritually by taking his prescription. And if you have that friend or that neighbor, or if you're here today and you just don't see it all just yet, watch this man's life. Because this man's life changed more like a dimmer switch than an on and off. I think often in our Christian American way, we think, well, I was blind. But now I see. But even this man went through a slow progression of discipleship. Like a dimmer switch, he goes through five stages in addition to being able to see. Let's review them quickly. Slide, the first one says this. I don't know Jesus. That's in verse 12. Then he moves and he calls Jesus a man And then in verse 17, he calls him a prophet. And in verse 22, he now calls him Messiah. And finally, in verse 31 to 33, he calls them the man from God. We have a saying in our church culture, grace, safety. Does anybody know the third word? Time. This man saw with his eyes, but it took him some time to see with the eyes of his heart, with the fovea of his heart. Here are the final two stages of his seeing. Jesus will invite him to finally see with a question. And by the way, most of you that get stuck with someone often don't see when you're broadcasting, but it's when you tune in to them with a question. The question, verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe? In the Son of Man. He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You see, once you admit you can't see, you begin to see. Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. As the Son of Man, we know the rest of the story. Jesus, we know what happened with Jesus. He's always been God, and he enters the dark womb, of a woman for nine months. Jesus came out and saw the face of his mother. But he would be crucified in darkness, the story tells us, outside the city wall, away from anyone. The light of his life would flicker and go out on that cross for all of us as sinners. He suffered for the sin of Adam, brought on the human race. He then entered the darkness of that tomb, but Sunday morning he rose again. This man responds with insight, with three wonderful words. Verse 38, Lord, I believe. Three little words changed everything. Lord, Psalm 146.8 says, The Lord gives sight to the blind. Look what he was lifting up. The Lord, who has the right to adjudicate and say when our picture of life is out of focus. It's the Lord. The Lord has the authority to define our reality. The Lord has the authority to interpret the meaning of your suffering. Remember, your interpretation is your life. Who is your Lord? But he doesn't just say Lord. He said, Lord, I believe. When you know that you know that you know, you will stop worrying Think of this man. He can see, but he's got no community. Even mom and dad are going to church and he's not allowed in. But he's got a Lord. He believes, and he's not going to live the rest of his life worrying. He's going to live the rest of his life worshiping. Lord, I believe. Isaiah 59.10 predicted, said, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is what this man did, and he worshiped. Worship is seeing and savoring the sun with the fovea of your heart. Your vision is most vivid by this wonderful part of our eye. We will always worship what, that which we believe gives us healing, that which we believe gives us hope. That's why most of you here that are Christians love that song, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, I think, is in a lot of ways a skeleton key. You know what a skeleton key? It's one of these keys that opens all the doors. Every one of you has a heart. Grace is the key that opens every heart to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Do you know the words in that song? I once was lost, but now I'm what? Found. I was blind, but now I see. Some of you here have taken Jesus' prescription. And you would love to worship. I say, let's keep doing it today. Some of you, though, are shutting your eyes to the light. But maybe today is a day where Jesus has found you even here. Would you open them further? Some of you are in process, just like this man. But we're giving you a prescription in your pocket. And when you're ready to fill it, fill it. I want to conclude with something that you may not know about me. But I have for years carried around with me a picture that I'll put up on the screen. I put this in my Bible to act as a fovea for me. It's a picture. So here's mine. I've always had this in my Bible. It's a picture of a little boy who was, in 1974, when I would have been around his age, he could not hear. He was born deaf. His parents brought him to the doctor, and the doctor gave, gave him the ability to hear. And this is a picture that someone took of the first moment where he could finally hear. I would have loved to have been there. Often when we preach, when we teach, we wonder, Lord, are you going to open any ears? This reminds me that the Lord is still helping the blind to see. What's amazing is that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, which means we see through our ears. Imagine that. Don't you see, the light is spilling into the world. The light is spilling into the world And who will be the next to say, I was blind, but now I see. Would you pray with me? Father, I love this picture of this little boy, Harold Whittles, because he could not give himself the ability to hear, but his eyes got really wide when he could take in that sense. Lord, we think about the spiritual sight that many of our friends and neighbors do not have. We ask, Lord, that this promise of your Savior, that he is the light of the world, would come true in the lives of our friends, our neighbors, would come true in people's lives that are here today. Lord, some of us see, but we're we're kind of using our rods, not that fovea. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to see with utter clarity. And even now, as we have the Lord's Supper, would you help this meal... Work on us in such a way that we would see the beauty of your son, Jesus, like we've never seen him before. Lord, we can't wait to meet this nameless blind man who sees someday and laugh with him at the, the, just the, the humor of his story and the amazing just splendor of his story. We can't wait to meet this man someday. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.